1: And one by one. Where each week we take a film out of the book, a thousand and one movies you must see before you die. Discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And we are we are rounding the bases. We are we're like about to hit third base, like now. We we've we've made it to week eight. of our decade by decade celebration of film this is episode 97 overall we have made it to 1990 we have made it back to scorsese we have made it to goodfellas but we're not there yet we're going to give you some some movie talk and some recommendations um so what's what has been on your plate my friend well, I'm
0: very excited. Maybe I should have saved this for next week, seeing as though I'll tip my hand right now So we've got maybe a Ridley Scott episode next week. Maybe we don't. You'll see. But I watched all three of the episodes of Raised by Wolves that were dropped on HBO Max. Obviously, we're recording this on Friday, the day after they dropped them on the Thursday. So by the time this comes out, I mean, I'm sure the show will be heading towards wrapping up, but I still don't want to be... Spoilery at all, but Raised by Wolves, it is Ridley Scott's uh, triumphant return to television. He hasn't really done any television since the late 60s. He did uh, uh, a pilot that didn't get off the ground uh, in about 2013 called The Vatican. Uh, don't know anything about that, but Raised by Wolves is some very high concept, very, very cool, dense sci fi action thriller philosophical jaunts i don't know it's it really covers these first three episodes have really covered quite a lot and explored a lot of the themes that i think that he was trying to deal with in prometheus and alien covenant the thing that i loved about alien covenant so much was uh the the billy crudup character um who was a man of faith and so that's why he couldn't be the captain in that film um and so this film kind of deals with this this TV show, sorry, uh, deals with that as well, is uh, colonization and androids raising children and the sort of moral ambiguity that goes along with that. And there's been this huge war between this uh, faction, this re- massive religious faction uh, and and the atheists. And it, it turns out that the atheists have kind of lost and they've made a last-ditch effort. They send all these light spaceships out uh, minimal life support, uh, embryos, and and androids, and the androids are supposed to sort of colonize different planets, and and uh, you you get to meet these these two great great characters, the the mother and the father. They're they're doing their best to raise uh, these children. They lose six of them straight away, and then slowly the other the others start dying off until they're left with one, and then these. This religious faction finds them, and I, like I said, I don't I don't want to be too spoilery about it. But this thing is deals with some really deep philosophical issues. It's a very very challenging show, and I I can't wait to see where it goes. I'm very excited to uh, to to carry on with it. And it's it's interesting that they're they're dropping it in batches.
1: Uh, That's I what I was going to ask.
0: Yeah, so they they dropped three. I don't know what next Thursday is gonna look like obviously, you know, by the time this comes out, as I said, the show will be wrapping up. But as as we stand right now recording, I don't know whether they're gonna drop another three or just drop run or just drop two. So it's I I think that's a I think that's a smart way to do it. You're kind of finding a happy middle ground between people that like to do stuff week by week and, and people that like to binge stuff.
1: Yeah. Well I, I like i I've, I know I've seen like the artwork for it on on things is like ads on you know as scrolling through imdb or, or scrolling through facebook or whatever but i i really didn't know that much about it and that's uh that sounds cool i um we we are gonna make <laughs> this sounds so unimportant but i know melissa and i are gonna plan on make a concerted effort on watching uh not just films <laughs> and start actually watching a bit more uh you know a bit more television uh, show is that when we have our our downtime. Um. So so that's cool. Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah. Definitely cue so- that up, man. Because I know you guys liked Prometheus. I think you're really yeah. gonna dig what he does here. He has a lot more time to examine those issues of of creation and faith. And as I said, there's a, there's a lot of moral ambiguity about this show, which you don't find in a lot of, of 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 well, really this kind of high concept sci-fi.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do think. In a weird, well, not in a weird way, but I know HBO seems to have been kind of leading that front in a way with shows like Westworld and with Watchmen, and even though it really wasn't science fiction, you know, something like The Leftovers as well. They all have uh, moral ambiguity and sort of uh, these, you know, dystopic, not too distant future kind of like, you know, how do we live in a world where X has happened and. Uh, I you know to to varying degrees of entertainment. I think those shows are all interesting to say the least. So yeah, <laughs> that's that's my my comment there. Um. So I've got a I've got a twofer. Um, and and uh, so uh, we're, we're recording this on a Friday. This last Monday uh, uh, was kind of a cool day. We got we ordered some appliances from Best Buy and those got delivered, which is cool. So. I feel like we made our first big home purchase in our home. Um, And then I got in a car and I drove for five and a half hours. And I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, And when I got to uh, my hotel room, I I finished a book. And I wouldn't normally recommend a book so much, but it's a movie book. And uh, it's called Best Movie Year Ever. Uh, Basically all about how 1999 uh, blew up. And why uh, it's the best movie year ever. Now, um, granted, I think you can make a strong case for any year if you wanted to. But you know, reading this book, it covers all of the the movies you think it would, and it's not just blockbusters. It's not just you know Phantom Menace, it's or Sixth Sense, but like, ev- like everything. Like the last three of the last four chapters are on The Insider, being John Malkovich and Magnolia, and I'm like, yes. Fuck yes, and it's just, you know, some of the stuff is more obvious, but every chapter has um, snippets of interviews with actors or directors. It's really in-depth, and just kind of nice to feel nostalgic, you know? I know we weren't, like, incredibly old in 1999, but I know that that's when, like, our budding cinephile nature was really starting to to bloom, and I remember so many of these movies— uh, whether I saw them at the time or a few years later or whatever um, I believe the guy who wrote his name is Brian Rafferty um I don't know man it's it's just a piece of nostalgia and it's all film related and it's it was just a great read um yeah but the reason I so I was in my hotel room finishing up this book before I uh, I went and saw Tenet. Uh, as we're recording this, I think it just came out officially in states that are, uh, that are have open movie theaters. Um, so I crossed state lines and went into Idaho on Monday and saw an early screening of Tenet. And was it worth it? Um, I'm gonna say yes, uh, because I do feel like Nolan movies should be seen in the theater. I do think that him as a filmmaker. He, and, and you know beyond the fact that I'm a I'm a Christopher Nolan fanboy because I am, um, it, it's just it's so big and bombastic and and between the score and the sound and everything like, it just was it was just meant to be seen in a movie theater and uh, to anybody out there wondering or cares, um they the social distancing was very much in effect and while I would say there were probably only maybe twenty to twenty five people in the screening. Um, everybody was at a pretty, unless you came with a group or whatever, like people were very much at, at safe distances. So no, um, no, uh, apparent health issues. Like, like, I think everything was handled really well.
0: Well, that's, that's great to hear. I'm imagining because it's so new, you're not going to be spoilery at all, but is there anything that really stands out to you? Is there like gut reaction? I'm going to put you on the spot. I mean, obviously, we did a massive Christopher Nolan episode where we ranked every single one of his movies that were released at the time. Right now, how does that disrupt your Nolan ranking?
1: It's It's somewhere in, like, the... So, uh, this is his 11th film. So, this would probably fall somewhere, like, 7, 8, 7, 8, 9, in in there somewhere. Um, Again, I feel like... You know, each movie that he makes, he's finding new and interesting ways to use the camera to tell a story. Um, uh, for those anybody who follows a lot of film sites or or film pages or film Twitter, um, there have been a lot of issues with uh, sound and not being able to hear all of the dialogue. I can confirm that that is a real thing. Um, my counterpoint would be that this movie is so confusing. I think even if you heard all of the dialogue, you would still be just as confused. Um, I I miss I miss my Memento and Prestige, Christopher Nolan. I miss him telling a story that isn't overly complicated and that his um, that his skill as a director is enough. Um, I don't know, but I know, but like time, time is such a fascination for this guy. Um, I didn't watch, so I didn't watch a single trailer. I purposefully avoided any, any kind of advertising for this movie at all because I didn't want to know shit. Um, so when I, when I watched it and you, we cross basically cross the halfway point and you start to see what's going on. And this isn't this isn't a spoiler because I haven't told you a single thing about the, what the movie's about at all, and I'm not going to. But just to reiterate that the movie is called Tenet, which is a palindrome. And if you know what a palindrome is, that'll really help influence... Or it, you see how the movie is being told. Um, I will say the standout thing in this movie is the editing. Uh, the editing is I got to say a lot of times I, 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 the editing in a way should go unnoticed because it's just, it's the way that the movie is put together and good editing should, should be seamless because of how they filmed a lot of stuff in this movie. Uh, uh I, I want to say it's Lee Smith. This is editor now. Um, amazing editing, amazing editing. And I'm not knocking on the performances or the directing or whatever, but like, I think that's like leaps and bounds technically the coolest thing about the movie um but if you are if you are a christopher nolan fan despite the movie kind of being gobbledygook in the sense of like i don't i'm gonna need to watch this again to totally like hash out the finer details um i very much enjoyed being in a theater watching this movie
0: well that's that's great to hear and i'm glad you were able to do it in in relative safety considering yeah. the times that we're living in. Um, I will say that I've, I've been enjoying a lot of the negative press that the film has been getting. I think the f- <laughs> my favorite thing, and I'm not being spiteful, it's just that I, I like you, miss the smaller Nolan films. Um, my, my favorite thing that I saw was the headline for a Vultures reviewer. Uh, the, the writer had said that Tenant is a locked puzzle box with nothing inside it. <laughs> Which i just oh i was like that is that's fucking great writing
1: well done sir i think that you know i in inception and an in interstellar we get a lot of kind of big exposition dumps not even for the plot but to kind of help us go oh the kick is what gets us out of the dream or oh this is how quantum physics work and, and how time works in a black hole right and it's not, to necess- it's not to tell you what the plot is. It's to help make you feel knowledgeable about how things are happening in the movie. Um, this movie could have used a little more of that. And the movie's two and a half hours, so it's already pretty long. But there were times where I wanted to, I wanted to be let in a little bit more as to how what's happening is happening. And, and I am intentionally being vague just because I, I don't want to really spoil anything but oh, no a little no of more course it's still too new no. yeah but i it's it's not my recommend mostly because i feel like that's unfair especially to major markets where people will not be able to see this right away so
0: definitely fair so to kind of to round out our banter and, and to sort of lead us into more Scorsese discussion as we as we head into Goodfellas I unlike last week where you know we did the Elephant Man and I just loaded up my brain with David Lynch I thought you know I'm gonna pull back a little bit this week I did fill some of my Scorsese gaps I watched Boxcar Bertha which was was pretty interesting I mean it's an early film that he did with Roger Corman I mean it's uh it's yeah, I mean it's okay. It's a it's a fairly boilerplate seventies exploitation flick. I think I think a lot of people remember it as being more exploitative than it really was, based on a lot of things that I've read, but there's some solid performances in it. Um I also watched The Age of Innocence, which have you seen that one? I that was one I watched this week. And what and and how'd you feel about it?
1: Um Mostly good. Mostly good. Um I I actually really liked um, the use of color in it, and I, having done a fair amount of um, of plays that are uh, set, you know, in a time con- gone by, um, really appreciate the how much gets said with so little, you know, and and um, I I don't want to go too deep into this, but I, I took there was a whole period where I did uh, I a whole. Chunk of my time in grad school where I did period movement, and like th- we 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 like for a whole week discussed fans, and there's fan language and how women would use a fan was actually like it was subtext for what they meant. Like if they if the fan was closed and they touched it to their chin, it was like oh I'm interested in what you're saying, and and if it was open in a certain way, it meant something else. And so it was it was uh, uh, fun and neat to watch all of that that period movement and subtext get played um it wasn't unfulfilling um i i'd I'd, I'd agree with that
0: yeah no so did i i would i would agree with with that it wasn't that's a great way to say it it wasn't unfulfilling i did expect performance wise i think i expected a little more but you you're talking about the use of color the instant that movie started i thought Powell and Pressburger, Jack Cardiff, like those names just like popped. Yeah. I was like, "Oh my, this is this is an homage to the the Powell and Pressburger films."
1: Yeah, I think I might have enjoyed the performances a bit more, and 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 I I'm not gonna put words in your mouth, but I know like having studied like what it is to like. I remember it's like a almost like a to to just like dumb it down a lot. Like the tighter the clothing. The more restricted you were not just in movement, but in how you what, what you could express. And like back then it's like you couldn't like even when they're around the, like in the age of when they're like around dinner tables and amongst their family, you still couldn't say exactly what you wanted to say. And like I, I, I do find that shit fascinating, like just the the way in which you have to speak around the truth in, in certain social circles back in the day.
0: Oh no, that's that's all really good. I think specifically Daniel Day Lewis. Now, I mean, there aren't really a ton of Daniel Day Lewis performances, but I think I think this one might land in my top ten. Daniel Day Lewis simply by default. It wasn't a performance that really, it didn't really, it didn't really move me in the way that you know my left foot or or even Lincoln moved me.
1: I I think I enjoyed seeing him not do something so extreme. If I'm being perfectly honest,
0: that there there is a relief in that. I, yeah, I can I can acknowledge that. Uh, one of the other things that I would definitely recommend for even passing Scorsese fans is on... Um, I believe it was on HBO is After Hours, which is a film he did in the mid-80s, which is unlike anything else in his filmography. Very, very strange little New York tale, the tale of a guy who just keeps falling into to bad circumstances. Not as funny now as I think it probably was in the 80s, but, I mean, it's a really... Really odd movie in his filmography, especially coming right next to uh, Color of Money. I think that mid-80s was not, uh, not the greatest for Scorsese. I mean, you had King of Comedy in 83, which is pretty good, not his best collaboration with De Niro. And then on the other side of it, last temptation of christ which i like very much but i acknowledge is a very problematic movie and even he thinks uh he should have gone back and re-edited it he felt like he didn't have enough time to really make the film that he wanted to make which is a shame considering he'd been developing it since the late 70s
1: yeah yeah
0: but i would definitely recommend checking out after hours to to fill that scorsese gap if if that is is a gap that you have in his filmography
1: oh it, it is it is and I mean, I know I've seen all the biggies for sure, but they're yeah, they're a handful, especially in that um that 80s time frame that I've just not seen. It was it was
0: an interesting time.
1: <laughs> a lot of cocaine. Yeah. Um, so uh so so what we're gonna get into recommends. Um now my recommend is is almost Cape Fear. It's almost Scorsese's. Telling of Cape Fear, but the, I gotta say the Simpsons have pretty much ruined a hundred percent. Totally appreciating that film, uh, especially if if you came to the film after the Simpsons, it's it's just not fair <laughs> at all. Um, uh, but my recommend, uh, I, I mean, how can it? My recommend is the nineteen ninety five Goodfellas on crack, casino, um. I was I was wondering, and
0: and I'm sure that we'll have more to say about Casino in the bulk of the episode as well. But no, continue.
1: But uh, so Casino, it's, it's 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 I think my first Scorsese that I that I I got I watched. Um, I remember visiting my grandparents in Arizona uh, as like a teenager, and they had rented movies from the library, and I remember they had in that horrible hard plastic container, the two VHS cassettes that made casino. And uh there was one night where we didn't really go anywhere and and everybody was kinda taking it easy and I just put this on at like seven thirty, eight o'clock and you know, as you're like a thirteen year old, this is like there's so much in this movie. The the violence and the nudity and the and it's De Niro and it's Pesci and Sharon Stone and I mean and I and I we, So we watched it again this week, and one thing that I, I mean, Goodfellas has the narration, but Casino has it to like the nth degree, but I really like that the first 40 minutes of this film almost feels like a documentary. Like, it's almost all just like, here's how Vegas works. Here's how the mob ties work. Here's how everything flows. And there's something that in other hands could have been so boring about that, but Scorsese's use of the camera and having, you know, having De Niro and Pesci and Stone in the movie, that you're getting to watch them just be, like, background to the narration. Like, you know what I mean? They're just sort of helping convey that. I I, I personally love that. Um, and, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I think... I still I still like everything. I mean it's still harsh and over the top and and like I and James fucking Woods is in this. I mean, come on. What what are you going to do? But it's got a great a great supporting cast. I I just love I, this I think movie. that's
0: his actual middle name now.
1: J- James fucking Woods. <laughs> <laughs> um I the the one thing I'll say about that movie uh which is unfair and clearly something that only if you've seen this movie a jillion times, would you notice? But so Melissa and I were watching it and the opening of the movie is him walking out of a restaurant, going into his car. And then the car blows up and the car, car blows up and it goes into credits and Melissa kind of jumped. Cause I think she forgot that that's how it opens. And I go, Oh, so you missed, you know, you missed the really bad edit there. And she's like, what? And if you, <laughs> if you watch the opening of the movie, he gets in the car and there's a cut where it clearly cuts to a dummy in the car before it blows up and it's so obvious. It's <laughs> Oh no,
0: it's it's terrible. I have no idea why they kept that in there and just didn't like cut to a wide or the top down of the explosion.
1: Oh man, I love it so much. It's one of my favorite like fuck that's so bad but the rest and of you, the movie is so and good. And you
0: know that like they saw it in the edit and the Scorsese was probably like, "Ah, fuck it." Yeah, there, I mean, there's there's so much about Casino where I can just literally hear them in the edit bay just say, "Ah, fuck it."
1: So yeah, I I don't have much more to say because I'm it might come up in the bulk, but oh no, casino... I, prom- I
0: promise you it'll come up again.
1: Okay, <laughs> Casino wholeheartedly is my recommend this week. Well, I uh, I also have
0: uh, another Scorsese. I started uh, last Sunday morning. Uh, I actually did I did three Scorseses in a row. I did this film I'm about to talk about, and then I did uh, Age of Innocence, and then I did After Hours. So I just had nothing but a Scorsese day, which is probably why I pulled back during the yeah. rest of the week. But uh, I started my, my Sunday morning with George Harrison living in the material world, and I did all three and a half hours of it in one sitting, which... You know, I mean, it's up to you. It's on HBO in two parts. There's one part that's two hours, which is which focuses on on Harrison's early life and a lot of the time with the Beatles leading up to the splits, and then the hour and a half, the the second portion of it, uh, deals with the Beatles splitting up and then a bit of his solo career and his activism and and uh, hanging out with Ravi Shankar and all of those things. Um, really, really like this documentary a lot. Definitely uh, helped to give me a a further appreciation not just of the beatles but of george harrison as well there's there's loads of time that's spent obviously if you're a Beatle maniac you're going to appreciate all the time that's spent uh with the beatles and especially getting it to see it from a different perspective to see it from from what they they called him the quiet one from his perspective rather than uh you know either lennon or mccartney's who were the the dominant forces in that band um I, I, my, my couple of complaints is that I don't feel like there was enough time spent on some, some of his other solo albums outside of uh, his first one in 1970, um, which had, which had some, some big hits on it like What Is Life. And another, another complaint, as you know, I'm a big fan of, of Handmade Films. That was, that was his company that he set up to get Life of Brian Finance. We did a Life of Brian episode, so you can go back and, and listen to us delve into a little bit of that history, but his company also produced some of my favorite films of all time, like The Long Good Friday, Time Bandits, and my favorite film of all time, with Nail and I. And there's a little bit of talk with his business partner, but the whole of his his handmade films is kind of summed up by just showing the posters from the movie, which I know we're already in a three and a half hour documentary, but if you're already spending that much time, you can, you can delve into, into a few more things. You've got, you've got some room to breathe, but yeah. I mean, it does, it does a great job of dealing with, uh, the concert for Bangladesh. And like I said, uh, Ravi Shankar, um, a uh, lot of lot of great interviews with his wife and his son and dealing with the incident where he was stabbed. Uh, I think they did a really respectful job of his death in it as well. I think it's a really well-rounded, fantastic documentary, which is probably not as good as his one. Uh, he's done two now about Bob Dylan, obviously the one that's on Netflix now, the Rolling Thunder review, but the first one he did about Bob Dylan, No Direction Home, which is still one of the greatest documentaries I've ever seen. I would, I would put it second only to that. Um, and, and one of the, the reasons that, that spurned beyond making sure that I got this in, uh, in preparation for a Scorsese episode, I had just, uh, about a month ago, listened to, uh, it's going to come back to Mark Marin again, Godfather of podcasting. Uh, I listened to Kevin Corrigan on, on WTF, who is a, I fucking love Kevin Corrigan and he is, he's everything you want him to be on the episode. And he talks about having worked with Scorsese, he's going to come up in this episode cuz he's in Goodfellas. He's yep. he's worked with Scorsese a couple of times and he was talking about uh, I think he was talking about maybe being at the Hugo premiere and going up to Scorsese and being like, "Hey man, I just saw the George Harrison documentary and I fucking loved it. It was so good." Like I and he just he talks about how every time he interacts with Scorsese, even though he's worked with him and knows him, he's still just another fanboy who just he, he wants to talk to him about raging bull he wants to talk to him about mean streets and he's and he's saying man i i loved the george harrison doc and scorsese's response was it was brilliant he said yeah that's the one <laughs> which i like oh man that's again these two guys just everything you want them to be so anyway i if you've got the three and a half hours and you've got hbo absolutely worth your time whether you're a beatles fan or, you know, a Beatle maniac or just a passing Beatles fan or a George Harrison fan, you're really going to appreciate a lot about this documentary.
1: Oh, I mean, you, the way you speak about it is, I could tell that you really enjoyed it. I got it. I, I, that doesn't, it just doesn't sound like something I want to watch. I, I know, man. <laughs> I, I,
0: I get it. It's, it's a hard, at that length, it's definitely a hard sell, but I, yeah, I, I, I defy you to turn it off once you've started it. Once you hit that hour mark, you're going to, it just zips right along. I honestly didn't feel a beat of it. Sure,
1: sure. Um, well, cool. So there you go. Uh, you said living living in a material world. That's the name of it.
0: Yeah, that's the that's the George Harrison doc.
1: Okay, cool. So yes, and that in Casino. So yeah, two. You got a double Scorsese recommend this week, which is which is great. Um, so let's let's get to it, man. Let's let's talk about Goodfellas. This is an
0: episode that I think we've been talking about doing since we started the podcast. I think everything has been leading
1: to this moment, so if this episode sucks, it's on us. Sure. Uh, So I want to. I want to start this episode a bit different. I want to do something earlier than we normally do. Hey, Ian, do you think that Goodfellas should be in the book? I, you know, it's I.
0: I, I'm glad we're doing this right now because I feel like if if anybody didn't at this point, if you didn't want to see Goodfellas, I don't think there's anything that you and I are gonna say to change anybody's minds. Like, but if you are a serious fan of cinema, this is this is something that yes, absolutely everybody should see this film.
1: Yeah, it is. It is okay, one of so, the
0: great American masterpieces.
1: Yeah, I I agree too. So. I, want to, I wanted us to say this now because this may just turn into an appreciation episode where we talk about the things that stand out a lot to us because I'm sure we could rag on parts of it and how parts haven't aged well or whatever, but I love this movie. So I'm just going to put it out there at the beginning that I love it so that everything else is basically informed by the fact that this movie is fantastic.
0: If, yeah. If you want to hear a gush fest,
1: you're, you're in the right place. So, uh, so here we go. It is directed, of course, by Martin Scorsese. It was written by him and Nicholas Pileggi, based off of his novel entitled "Wise Guy." Um, our cast: top build is Robert De Niro playing Jimmy Conway, although the story is very much about Ray Liotta as Henry Hill. Um, We also have Joe Pesci in his Academy Award winning performance as Tommy DeVito, Uh, Lorraine Bracco as Karen Hill, that would be Henry's wife, Paul Sorvino as Paul Cicero, and then I I still have a shitload of names I'm going to say, and if I leave something out, you know, you can blame me, get mad at me, but there's so many people in this movie, so just deal with it. Um, We have Frank Civero, who plays Frankie Carbone. Uh, if you're wondering who he is in the movie, he's the one who they find in the meat truck, Frozen. Um, we have Frank Vincent, who plays Billy Batts. He is also in Casino, uh, but he is uh, in this movie, um, this time being killed by Joe Pesci. He's the one who they who's in the trunk at the very beginning of the movie. Uh, we have Chuck Lowe, who, is, who plays Morris Kessler, or the wig guy. Uh, we have Frank D'Elia, who plays Tootie Cicero, who other people might recognize from the Wayne's World movies, which is always just fun. Um... We have Martin Scorsese's parents. Catherine and Charles are both in this movie. Uh, Charles plays Vinny. He's the guy who ends up shooting Joe Pesci uh, as he's about to get made. And uh, his mom, uh, Catherine, uh, plays uh, Tommy's mom in the movie. Uh, We have uh, Susan Shepard, who plays Karen's mother, uh, who is just like a piece of a neurotic ball of fire. Um, We have uh, Gina Mastro Giacomo, who plays Janice Rossi, and Debbie Mazar, who plays Sandy. Those are uh, Henry's mistresses throughout the film. Uh, I have three left, so bear with – no, sorry, four left, four left. Um, We have Kevin (laughs) Corrigan, who we just talked about, who plays Michael. He plays Henry's younger brother. Michael Imperioli, before anybody knew him as anything, playing spider Uh, we have Samuel L. Jackson in this thing for a hot second playing Stax Edwards. And the last person that I wanted to call out, um, was Christopher Cerrone, who plays the young version of Henry Hill. Some terrific, like that was like the guy who plays young, um, young Tommy is good too, but I really liked this kid. They got to play young, young Henry, Henry. Um, so that's, that's who I got. I'm sure. Is there anybody else you wanted to, to throw
0: some love to? Just a couple of small roles. Uh, Tobin Bell, who everybody knows is Jigsaw from the, the Saw movies. He plays uh, Jimmy's parole officer. Uh, we also have in a very tiny role, we have shit. Isaiah Whitelock Jr., is yep. uh, a doctor who who makes uh, I think I think he what does he he gives him a, a couple of thorazine during the yeah, he, uh, that crazy yeah. final sequence, um, and I just call out Vincent Gallo as well. He's part of Henry's '70s crew, and then one other guy, Anthony Powers plays Jimmy two times. I'm gonna get the papers. Get the papers. I'm gonna go get the papers. Get the papers. Yeah, yep. Who I was I'll uh, just right now I will just throw it out as a joke. I was gonna make him my unsung hero, but I mean. <laughs> I love I love that little moment so goddamn he's not my real unsung hero we'll get to that later but I just yeah I love him so much that little moment just makes me so happy every and I say it out loud every goddamn time
1: yeah yeah Uh, so uh, Scorsese is in the book a handful of times outside of this here are the movies Uh, uh, Mean Streets Taxi Driver Raging Bull The King of Comedy and Gangs of New York those are his other films that are in the book um, accolades. So I, I don't want to spend too much time on the Oscars, but so let's talk about this. So, The um, Goodfellas was nominated for Best Picture, Director, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, Adapted Screenplay, and Editing. Now, obviously, um, Joe Pesci won Supporting Actor with one of the uh, shortest Oscar uh, acceptance speeches ever, which is nice to see something short. He's,
0: he said, "It's my privilege. Thank you."
1: Um, Lorraine Bracco lost to Whoopi Goldberg for Ghost, um, and then all the other, all the other nominations it lost to Dances with Wolves. So I didn't do like a total 1990 deep dive or anything, but this is a, this is a weird year for Best Picture. You've got Dances with Wolves, which wins. You've got Goodfellas. You've got The Godfather Part 3, Awakenings, and Ghost. How do we? How do you feel about that group of
0: movies? Well, I know, I know that my my mom doesn't listen to the show, but if she were for some reason to listen to this one, I would apologize and say sorry, mom. But Ghost is a properly shit movie. I like. I'm sorry. I cannot believe. And no disrespect to Whoopi Goldberg. I do think she's a she's a very good actress, but fucking Bracco not winning for Karen is I unforgivable she is fucking monumental in this film um but sorry but as as far as like the best pictures i haven't i haven't seen awakenings and then i mean godfather part three like i i I don't know about them and that just feels like an acknowledgement of a trilogy as a whole i mean we're we're at the point where in december i don't know if you've read this but uh, coppola has re-edited godfather part three and changed the name of it and we'll we'll be getting his director's cut of that
1: later in the year. I did into, into I did read year. that, I read that today. Uh, that's funny you mentioned that. Um, yeah, it's just it's interesting. So um, I I have seen Awakenings, and it's like it's fine. It's a fine movie, and I get that it's it's like it's very Oscar Beatty. It's a very like. Oh, you know, one of the one of the earlier instances of Robin Williams playing a a mostly dramatic role, Robert De Niro doing something like way out of left field, like just totally different. Um, it's not a bad movie. I I have seen it. It's fine. It's a fine movie. Um, you know, I wouldn't really recommend it. Um, but should we get the Dancers with Wolves out of the way right
0: now? Like I, I'm, it's not unwatchable, but it is, it is fucking. Man, that movie is hard work. Like it's, it's more work than it fucking needs to be.
1: Part of me wonders too, if it was like a, like, cause Kevin Costner was on such a run with, you know, field of dreams and the untouchables and bold. I mean like the eighties was like, he was in so much and he was in, I think such good graces and it seems just like a pretty nice, wholesome person. Um, and so like the fact that he adapted it and, and, and directed it and was in it, I, I don't know it, it, it. Yeah, it's not a bad film at all. But like, I, I I look at these four or these five movies and I'm like, one of these is a great film. That's it. it no, and, abs- and it's, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's clearly Goodfellas. Um, just two other things really quick about the the Oscars that year. Um, but you mentioned uh, Whoopi Goldberg. I, I got to say pretty good year for nominees for supporting actress Whoopi won. uh, Lorraine Bracco was nominated as well. We talked about wild at heart last week. Diane Ladd was nominated for that. Um, uh, Mary McDonald was nominated for dances with wolves, which I probably would have replaced with something else. And Annette betting for the grifters, which is a fun movie. I don't know if you've seen that, but that I, is a... I do like the grifters quite a lot. Um, but then I, and you know, cause I always have the best of intentions like, Oh, I'm going to watch so much this week. Um, one of the 1990 movies I did rewatch this week was Reversal of Fortune, which I've. is only the second time I've seen it. I do not know how, first, how either De Niro or Ray Liotta weren't nominated from for Goodfellas. But Jeremy Irons in Reversal of Fortune is so, like, kind of blah like the movie isn't bad and it's interesting as as this way of like you know fucking um glenn close is basically narrating her her tr- the trial of her ex or of her husband from her coma and it's it's interesting the way everything comes out but like he does nothing in this movie that is that is uh, worthy of an oscar um yeah that's my little
0: that's that's unfortunate i mean i i remember seeing the trailer for reversal of fortune years ago and having absolutely no desire to, to watch it so thank you for thank you for confirming that i don't
1: need to see that <laughs> so um moving on to uh, everybody's favorite the golden globes um it was up for best picture director supporting actor supporting actress and screenplay didn't win any the baftas took much more um um Uh, liking to this film it won best film one best director one best adapted screenplay editing and costume design only losing best actor in cinematography i think the most important one there is uh thelma shoemaker winning for editing uh the national Board of review placed it in its top 10 films of the year and gave best supporting actor the joe pesci hey ian was this film inducted into the national film registry uh
0: yes it was in the year two thousand, pretty good year. We've done a couple of films that were inducted in that year. We did Apocalypse Now and Five Easy Pieces. There's also uh one that was inducted that year that I'm hoping that we can maybe squeeze in next season and that is Shaft.
1: Oh. All right. I'm not against that. Um I you it'll know, the, I rarely have much 50th, to
0: say. It'll be the fiftieth anniversary of Shaft.
1: Oh sweet. Yeah. I like that. That'd work anyway. And I just I've never seen it, so it'll be a good watch. Um I I usually have not much to say about the National Film Registry. I do The one thing I have is that this was the first film from the 1990s to be inducted into the National Film Registry. I was like, hey,
0: look at that. There we go. Another milestone. Uh, There is one more uh, film accolade I was very interested at the Venice Film Festival, uh, which is where it premiered. Uh, It lost best film to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A, A film... I still haven't seen, but I'm very, very familiar with the play. It was on Prime the last time I looked, so you got no excuse. I know, I know, I know. Um, And uh, a few other things quickly. It picked up DGA and WGA nominations. It is currently number 92 on the AFI Top 100 Films of All Time. It was 94 when they first did the list. It is number 17 on the IMDb Top 250. Ian, what is on either side of it?
0: It's in some pretty good company. It's got the Matrix just above it, which I, I I would reverse those if I'm being honest. But right below it, and again, I would drop the Matrix below this one too. Is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but still really good company to be in.
1: Yeah, that's a nice. Those are those are good. Those are three films I very much enjoy. Um, uh, and it has a 96 percent critical and 97 percent audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So in terms of reviews, like I know, I know Ebert like this was his best film of 1990. Siskel and Ebert loved it, and for the most part, like most critics did. But I, I, I always like not going negative, but going like going like like zagging when I should zig, right? And again, I got to give a shout out to my coworker Kelly Sweet, who has a uh, a subscription to the New Yorker. She was able to pull uh, Pauline Kael's review of Goodfellas, which. Sometimes you're lucky and you can find a site that has her stuff, but it's pretty much behind, like New, the New Yorker only gives you so many free reads and then you got to pay. So anyways, I pulled this, this part specifically of, of the review because I want, I really, Ian, I, 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 I want to get, I want to see, I want to hear and see your immediate reaction to this. Here we go. Is it a great movie? I don't think so. But it's a triumphant piece of filmmaking. Journalism presented with the brio of drama. Every frame is active and vivid, and you can feel the director's passionate delight in making these pictures move. When Henry Hill, the central character, crosses a Long Island street to beat up the man who tried to, make, who put, who tried to put the make on his girl, the dogwood is in bloom. And all through this movie, we're aware of the ultra-greenness of the suburbs that the gangsters live in. These thieves are always negotiating their way through shrubs and hedges. And then a later paragraph, she says this, the moviemaking has such bravura that you respond as if you were at a live performance. It's Scorsese's performance. He came of age as a director in the early 70s at a time when many film enthusiasts were caught up in the 60s idea that a good movie is always about its director. There's a streak of metaphoric truth in this. But here Scorsese puts the idea right up front. The filmmaking process becomes the subject of the movie. I
0: I would say that uh, Miss Kale was onto something with that. I I I uh, really I really like that a lot. I like the I like the phrasing of of being at a live performance and that it's not any of the actors that we're watching even though we are watching some great performances we are watching Scorsese perform. We are watching him conduct an orchestra of sorts.
1: Yeah, I um I I really and the whole review is good too. I mean and and a lot of it is her talking about individual performances or the, or the plot. But I, I think sometimes what I enjoy the most out of a good review is that the extra take or the thing that like, isn't about the plot, right? It's, it's a general response and it, and it's a unique take on it. Um, and yeah, that, that idea of being at a, at a live performance is something that I, I really responded to as well. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they mentioned uh whiplash and the guy talking about Whiplash mentioned the last part of the movie. And it's, you know, it's where Miles Teller's basically been embarrassed. and he's like, fuck this, I'm not going to go out that way. And he comes back on stage and he plays the last song. And I remember the first time I saw Whiplash, I literally couldn't sit down. Pacing back and forth, like watching the last part of this movie. And I remember the first time seeing Goodfellas, like feeling so nervous and on edge particularly uh that on the last day that we really spent with Henry hill where it, it's you know he's pairing over the helicopters and i think it's a great take and i just i just wanted to, to to put it out there just kind of before we we launched into the movie well that's something i definitely want to talk about if you
0: if you hold on to that of our what our first viewing experience is like because i definitely have some visceral memories of it but before I get there and the reason why I don't have a review i'm so glad that you had Pauline kales is that Adam i have to ask you do you love lists? I love lists. I, I love, love lists. lists too. I love Lamp. I I have a I have more lists than usual, but I will try not to take up too much time. Now, Goodfellas <laughs> is on so many lists. I tried to find a couple of alternative ones. I didn't want to just do the boring AFI top 10 gangsters and, and everybody's top 100 and blah, 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 blah. I do happen, you did mention Ebert's top 10 of 1990, so I'll, I'll run down that one really quick. At number 10, you're not going to like this jfk what
1: how does that I make was, sense
0: that that's 91 well uh, uh, sorry this is not i i'll rephrase this is uh, not of 1990 but of the 1990s oh okay yeah. wait
1: sorry, that's, i that's, like jfk why are I, you sh- I was
0: i was under the impression that you were you were not a huge oliver stone fan maybe i'm, I'm wrong i don't know oh,
1: I, I am not a huge oliver stone fan but you do I enjoy love JF- JFK. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh,
0: that's great to hear. That makes me more excited yeah. to do that episode. It'll be the 30th anniversary of JFK next year, so we might have to do that one in season three as well. I hear Sorry, you. Sorry, we're, we're we're coming to the end, so I think we're very preoccupied with where we're going to go next. But anyway, <laughs> that's so <fair. laughs> Roger Ebert top ten in the 90s. Starting with JFK at number ten, we have Malcolm X at number nine, which I ashamed that I have still not seen at this point, but I will very much try to find the time to do it in our in our break. Yeah, we have painfully admitted on this show before that we both have not seen that. I I really want to. The length is a little daunting. I will say that. Yeah. At number eight, we have Leaving Las Vegas. So happy to see this movie on this list. I adore Leaving Las Vegas, though it's it's not a it's not a casual watch. It's not something you can just pop on. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> only, only seen it the one time, but but enjoyed it when I saw it. I can understand how some people would definitely take it as a one and done. At number seven, we have the Lars von Trier film Breaking the Waves, which I have not seen, but I hear great things about.
1: I I blind bought... I was a blind criterion purchase. Still haven't seen it.
0: Uh, Number six, no surprise, we have Schindler's List. Of course, it should be on the list. Great fucking movie. Uh, Number five, we have the Three Colors trilogy. Kind of cheating there. He put three in there. Yep. At number four, we have Fargo. Again, great to see that on the list, but probably not surprising, but... Solid list so far. Solid list. At number three, we have Goodfellas. Okay. All right. And and the next two, I think, are going to make you very happy. Number two is Pulp Fiction. Oh, my heart. And number one is Hoop Dreams.
1: Oh, wow! Which yeah, he is, was a big. That's a, a, that's big a movie I feel like I,
0: I owe you I owe you that movie I feel like that's the big documentary we need to do in season three. That
1: movie is so. F- fucking good man it's so good yeah i'm I'm definitely more excited to see it especially
0: with with ebert having it in such high esteem now this list he presented on an episode where i guess siskel was out and so was a guest contributor he had scorsese on and scorsese yeah
1: i remember they did this yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah. so i don't know if you remember his list his top 10 in the 1990s but here i'll run down his really quick so he had of course scorsese being him he cheated as well. At number ten, he has a two-way tie of Malcolm X and Heat, which. Oh phew, yeah. I love Heat. I love Heat more than I love most things in life.
1: I love I love Heat more than I love lamp or lists.
0: Oh oh yeah! I, how could you not? Just gonna say. At number nine, we have Fargo. So a little cross there between Ebert and Scorsese. At number eight, we have Knots. The worst Best Picture winner of all time, but we have Cronenberg's Crash.
1: I have you seen that?
0: I have, and uh, that's a one and done. I I do want to see it. Um, I I won't spoil it for you here. It's man, it's we'll, we can talk off mic about that fucked up experience. <laughs> okay. At number seven was a big surprise for me. He has Wes Anderson's first film, Bottle Rocket.
1: I as again as as director debuts go that it's a it's a solid start it's
0: man it must have i i must need to revisit that movie because it left so little impression on me it must be a better movie than i remember it being
1: i don't know i think Uh, i think it's fun
0: number six we have another cross with ebert's list we have breaking the waves
1: fuck all right i need to cue that one up
0: gotta see it i guess. Number five, and I, re- I, I did see the clip of this, and I remember him making a big deal that he wanted to say it wasn't just because Harvey Keitel was in it and his friend, but he has Bad Lieutenant at number five. I, I still is, haven't watched it since we talked ooh, about man.
1: Port of Call, New Orleans.
0: Bad the the original Bad Lieutenant is something else, man. That that movie, you'll you'll never be able to unsee that film. <laughs> uh, number four. Again, I I'm really surprised by this and I have a lot of respect for it showing up on this list is Eyes Wide Shut.
1: I dude, Eyes Wide Shut is good. Yeah, there's a chapter was... on the there's a chapter on the book uh, I just read on I on Eyes Wide Shut. Fuck it. As well,
0: I think it's I think it's a great movie. As well there should be. The older I get, the more I love it. Uh number three is a film from Taiwan that I've never heard of called A Borrowed Life. Oh, no idea. Uh number two is the thin red line. Oh. Well, very contemplative film. Yeah, very ballsy choice, I think. And at number one is a film that I have never heard of, and I could literally find nothing on. It's not streaming anywhere. No idea what this film is about, but it's called Horse Thief. So if there's anybody out there that's seen this film and would like to, to fill in as to why Scorsese loved that film so much, I'd appreciate it. Horse
1: Thief? Yeah.
0: So now, are you ready for my alternative list? This is a list I'm very excited about. This is something completely different from what we usually do. I'm ready. I'm ready. So this is a list of, and the reason why I had to do 17 of them is so that I could get Goodfellas in because it is at number 17 on this list. This is a list of films with the most uses of the word fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you might appreciate that. Alright. Here we go. At number seventeen, and I don't have the I don't have the fuck count for all of them, but I do have for some of them. At number seventeen, with three hundred uses of the word fuck, which averages out to be about two a minute, is Goodfellas. Lovely. At, at number sixteen is Menace to Society. Number fifteen is one I don't think it should be on here because it's a stand-up special, but I guess it did get a theatrical release, is Martin Lawrence's Run Tell Dat ah okay uh number 14 is a ken loach film sweet 16 number 13 is a film that is a, a guilty pleasure of mine and the only paul walker film that i enjoy is running scared oh i haven't seen that i th- i think you'll like that very much it's just a balls to the wall ton of fun doesn't take itself seriously kind of graphic novel comic book movie all right uh number 12 is a british film and it was uh reese evan's breakout film it's called twin Towns, starring his actual twin number 11 is end of watch which is a movie that i really wanted to like more if i'm honest i still haven't seen it but i have heard good things yeah number 10 is alpha dog nope nothing on that one i got nothing <laughs> yeah, yeah i got i got nothing on that one either uh number nine is a movie from this year actually it's called the outpost which I've seen advertised on a lot of digital platforms. Okay. Number eight is a really fucking great movie. Straight out of Compton.
1: Oh, yeah. That, fuck, that movie is good.
0: That movie is great. Number seven is a movie you mentioned earlier. Casino. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's there's damn near 500 fucks in that film. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number six is Gary Oldman's directorial debut in a film that I think everybody should see is Nil by Mouth. That is a fucking mammoth Ray Winston performance in that film. Number five is a Spike Lee film, Summer of Sam. I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't seen that one.
1: No, nope, no, nope, nope, I have not seen that. Okay, well here
0: we go. Here's the home stretch, and I do have the the swear counts for all of these. Number four is Uncut Gems with 506 uses of the word fuck, averages to be about four a minute. Wow, I didn't think, I didn't, okay. It's, it's a lot. I guess. Uh, number three is The Wolf of Wall Street, another Scorsese film, which, man, I I don't know how many times I've seen Wolf of Wall Street at this point. I fucking love that film, and right now I'll come out and say it, as opposed to Casino, Wolf of Wall Street is the true successor to Goodfellas. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. It's got 569 uses of the word fuck, averaging three a minute. Number two is a bit of a cheat as well. I don't think should be on the list simply because it is just called Fuck. And it is a documentary about the history of the word. It has a staggering 857 uses of the word fuck. It's about nine a minute. So obviously, you know, fun, light family entertainment. Of course. And number one is just a fucking awful movie. It's called SwearNet the movie. It's from the guys who did Trailer Park Boys. And it's this, this... it's fucking awful. It's on Netflix if you want to waste your time with it. Nine hundred and thirty-five uses of the word "fuck" about eight a minute.
1: Oh, I, I I don't think I'll be watching that.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's hot garbage. <laughs> so there you go. There's some there's some alternative lists.
1: We're are we, we're there, right? We're we're gonna talk about this movie.
0: Let's do it. Let's uh let's head on down to uh, let's head on down to New York and see a bunch of naughty gangsters do a bunch of naughty gangster shit.
1: Yeah. Um, so really, I think we'll just—I mean—all this this story is kind of about the rise and fall of of Henry Hill, who grows up across the street from uh, the cab stand, which is run by the Ciceros, and kind of works his way up, becomes sort of an errand boy, and then eventually uh, becomes good friends with Jimmy and Tommy, and they pull off a bunch of heists together, including the Latanza heist, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, ultimately, though, he gets he gets nabbed. He goes in for four years, comes back out. While he's in there, he starts to sell and do some drugs. And it sort of starts to overtake his life. And ultimately, he has to resort to going into the Witness Protection Program, thus breaking one of the two rules. Or actually, I think breaking both of the rules. Never ride on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. Um, So yeah, man. I don't even know where to to start. Um, I mean, one of the all-time best openings...
0: Well, I was going to say, I mean, right off the bat, Scorsese, we talked a bit about this in, in our David Fincher ranking episode, how good he is with needle drops. I mean, Scorsese is the fucking king of needle drops. I mean, that moment, that moment that opens, you know, with him saying, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster, and then bam, Tony Bennett, Rags to Riches, fucking, yes, great. I mean, and how, how at that
1: point are you not just hooked? Yeah. Yeah, um, I will. I, I will. It was so funny because I was watching the movie and I took I took so many notes and I didn't I didn't put them all onto my my sort of rundown. But uh, you know I did think, been excessive. You know Tommy uh, Tommy stabs him like eight times and then and then De Niro shoots him like five. Like you you could have probably just gone right to shooting him. But but no, that's fine. That's fine. Let let Tommy get some of that anger out before before you bury I him. I mean I mean he did tell him to go get his fucking shine box. I fucking love that moment so much so much and it's like like cuz Billy Bats is you know you, you you can't totally hate him cuz he just got out of jail and it's his coming home party and obviously he knew Tommy when he was younger and like I don't even think at first he's really being a dick about it not really and then and then Tommy just uh, tommy's tommy i mean tommy's a fucking hothead and can't let it go and um there's that fake apology he's like okay oh yeah okay i'm sorry i'm sorry sorry now go get your fucking shine box and the way he's like you motherfucker yeah and it just he gets so pissed oh god it's and it's, it's so good where he's telling
0: you, keep him here. I mean, it's amazing yeah. to me. I, I tried to do a little bit more reading about the real guys because I've, I've never really bothered to. I've always just taken it at face value. This is based on a real book. And I know Scorsese, De Niro, they grew up, and especially uh, Joe Pesci grew up knowing a lot of these guys. So I'm, I'm taking it at face value that they're all being as accurate as they possibly can but the real murder of billy betts i mean it's it's pretty damn close i mean there's a couple of details that they sort of you know fussed with and of course you can't show the progression of time in film as you can in in real life so i mean from from when the insult happened to when they killed him there was about two weeks but i mean that kind of takes the sting out of it if you do that in the movie and it wasn't sure. it wasn't Henry's club it was Jimmy's club but I mean whatever it doesn't really make a difference but the the way in which they killed him is is pretty damn close to how it actually happened even even as being realistic it was the point where they needed to stop at tommy's mom's house to get shovels and that whole breakfast that very early morning breakfast thing that did really happen that, well, that was amazing and, to me
1: that early morning breakfast too like there's you know, I, we could have talked to... I, I mean, I mentioned a, a little bit when we were talking about The Age of Innocence and even uh, a little bit with Casino, but I don't know if if Scorsese's movies get enough credit for their attention to detail. And and it's I know it's not just Scorsese and it's, it's everybody involved, but in that scene in particular... Oh, um, please tell me you're going to De Niro with the ketchup? Yes, yes. Yes. Like, the fact that De Niro talked to the real Henry Hill to ask how... Jimmy hit who he's playing what he how he what he put on breakfast and apparently he put ketchup on everything and even not just that he did it but the way in which you see De Niro sort of spin the bottle in his hand to get the ketchup out like it's a detail that probably would go unnoticed first time viewing that scene you're thinking about so much other stuff probably mostly about the fact that Billy Batts is in the fucking trunk but, like, this movie is made of small moments like that. And the dedication that everybody brought to this movie, I mean, I just... That's just one moment of it, but, like, it's just fucking brilliant. It's so great. Well, it's one moment in a
0: damn near perfect... I feel like if we wanted to, we could do a whole episode just on that breakfast scene in the same way that people have analyzed the, the shower scene in Psycho. There is so much going on in that film and i'll i'll tip my hand right now catherine scorsese unsung hero of this film (laughs) i don't know man it's for me for me it's either her or i it blows my mind that paul sorvino didn't get an oscar nomination like it just that as much as it fucking pains me that this film lost as much as it did adapted screenplay the all of it to, to dances with wolves that's that's something that really fucking bites my ass is that that poor S- Paul Sorvino went completely unrecognized,
1: you know. And it's it, 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 I, I mentioned earlier the the like the lack of a memorable performance that um, Jeremy Irons gave in The Reversal of Fortune, but but in the other way too. Sometimes I think the Oscars are so much about the big, kind of overpowering show stopping performances, and and so not surprised. That, that Joe Pesci won, not that it wasn't deserved, but, you know, and, and at least in, in this, like, you know, it's fun to, like, we see Pesci, we see Pesci fairly level-headed at times, we see him off the deep end, we see him be funny, like, he's got a lot of cards to play in the movie, but, like, that moment where Henry Hill comes to him after after he already told, after he already told him that he wasn't gonna, I'm not gonna fuck with drugs, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, mess with jimmy and tommy anymore he he goes to him and says i need help and he gives him the money out of his hand and he says now i gotta turn my back on you and like you can tell that he's fighting back tears because it's like again he grew up with this kid but like i now have to make the active decision to to hate you because you didn't listen to me it's it's that's probably the the best acting of sorvino's in the movie it's so it's so good Oh no,
0: 100%. I, I that movie, that 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 moment in the movie really just it it's still after seeing the film, I don't know how many times, uh, uh, too many times probably. It still really hurts my heart, man. Paul Servino is acting the fuck out of that. I mean, he's yeah. he's fucking and the fact that I had read that he he was skeptical about doing the film like he didn't feel like he could play someone that cold and it you know, he was up all night thinking about it and then he he saw himself you know as distraught as he was he he caught a glimpse of himself in the mirror and he saw that look and he's like all right that's the look that's the look i need for for polly like man that's i i honestly you could say it about almost anybody in the film but really i can't imagine anybody else but paul sorvino as polly
1: oh no no i mean it... <sighs> There's just like a level of gravitas and confidence that comes with it. And, and it helps like, he's not, how do I, I don't know how to say this. He's not fat, but he's a bigger, older guy. And I, and it works well with that line that we, that we hear early on in the, in the voiceover, but you know, Pauly didn't have to move for anybody. And like, he's got that air about him. Like, no man, I'm going to sit in my chair and you'll come to me if, if you need something. I don't, I don't have to go to anybody.
0: Oh yeah, the fact that he doesn't have a phone in his house and that everybody has to run his call. He gets his calls second and third hand. That's, that's great. Great little detail. And you just think, oh, it's because he doesn't want to have a phone in his house. But no, this guy is two, three, four moves ahead of everybody else. He knows that he doesn't want anything listened in on. He wants it all word of mouth. That way no one can track it. No one can trace it back to him. And I was thinking, like, if I can't, if I can't see anybody but Paul Sorvino in this role like gun to my head who else would it be the only other guy I can think of that could have done it any kind of justice maybe Danny Aiello and even that I'm like ah I don't I don't know I love and I would never speak ill of Danny Aiello love that guy but I just I prefer Paul Sorvino what about what about Brando no no that's and especially Brando then fuck no
1: (laughs) absolutely (laughs) not i i know i know i just he's about the right age he's about you know the the patriarch you know at the that (laughs) that
0: i don't know man that just that just set me that just turned my stomach that just set me i'm sorry i'm (laughs) I'm, I'm uneasy now i oh man (laughs) brando brando would have with the way that he was the way that he was treating his his co-workers his his other actors at the time his his diva
1: is just man. It would have just fucked this movie over. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it would have. I'm, I'm totally sure it would have. Um, God, I mean, what else, man? I, I mean, I, I. Well, let's, I, let's yeah. talk about first viewings. You, you,
0: you had talked about pacing. Yeah. You, you, you couldn't sit still during this. I that's just I mean, that... ask you to elaborate about what what you remember
1: about your first viewing of this. I, I think. Because I, like I said, I saw Casino first, and then probably saw this more when I was in high school. And I remember, I remember, you know, I mean, the opening hooks you in so, so easily. And again, I, I know there's that fi- the very famous scene in adaptation where it's like, and God help you if you use voiceover in your movie, but like, the way it's used in this, I just, I don't know, it, it, it helps, and and I, I don't, I don't know how else to say it, but like my my fourteen year old brain really really i think needed the narration I, I i it it was a great guiding path and it it never went away um even if it if it switched to to karen uh a, a little you know that was again i love that too that like oh, that's, it just that's all of a one sudden, of my favorite things her.
0: it's it's not just henry's story you know it's she's in this with him hook line and sinker he goes down she goes down you know what i mean It's, it's about them on this journey together i think that's that's very important i think scorsese he's he's like Ridley in my mind he's able to get great female performances he he casts them in in strong powerful roles and yeah and, I, and Lorraine Bracco is is no no exception and she might be she very well might be my favorite
1: female Scorsese performance um I mean that's not a not a bad answer at all um I feel like she gets. Um, I, I think more more often than not, she gets lumped into the scene where she's she's sitting on top of of Henry with the gun at his face, and that's a very tense moment. Um, but God, the scene. Oh man, the scene where he gets bailed. He gets bailed out of prison or out of jail, and he comes back and he's looking for the stash, and she's and he and she tells him that 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 she flushes it, and he and he's like they wouldn't have found it. He's like they would have been like. The way, that, the way that he's breaking down because, like, that was all they had and, and her breaking down because, like, I, I feel like, you know, I feel like, I, you know, I think we can, as, as, you know, passing spectators can look at that scene and go, well, I probably would have done the same thing, but, like, now she's really starting to second, like, second guess if that was the right choice. Just, they're both, they're both so vulnerable in that moment and usually it's just, like, the one or the other, but... They're both like, they like, they're slumped in the corner and they just you could just tell how fucking defeated they are at that moment.
0: Well, I mean, it's like that, it's like that, that phrase. I mean, we say it for a reason, behind every strong man is a stronger woman. Like, I, we, we have to acknowledge in that moment that this is, without each other, they have nothing. And, and for her to see him at his most broken, well, then, then she is broken as well. I'm not, and I'm not trying to claim that she's some kind of extension of him, but they are, they are a unit. And I feel like if, you know, they're, as I mentioned, they're, they're on this journey together. If one of them goes down, they both go down and she, she has to reckon, she has to reckon with that huge level of defeat as well as him. And I think it's, I I think about that scene in, in funny games in the in the original in the original version, the the scene where the couple are just there holding each other. I mean, I feel like this is sort of the American equivalent of that scene, and it's in how powerful it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's, um, it's
0: two very different kinds of losses, but it's, it's it's a couple experiencing loss and grief together. This
1: is it. This is the end of their lives as they know it. Yeah. Um, something else about this movie that I clearly. Was a, a new revelation and and tells you how it's I, I've seen this movie a handful of times, but it's clearly been at least at least six years since I've seen it because everything with the kids hit me so much harder this viewing, like them being dragged, like I, I you know the kids being there when she's at Rossi's apartment buzzing her when they're when she brings them to the to the to the prison to see him during visitation times when when Henry's leaving one night and they're like everything it, it's like it really um and this idea of like kind of Paul and Kale says about this idea of being in the suburbs it's all like it's not just the gangster side of it right like and that's what we're seeing mostly sure but we keep coming back home we keep coming back to Karen we keep seeing the repercussions of what's going on. And, and I will say all of that stuff hit me much, much harder, this viewing than it it clearly ever had before.
0: I, I Well, and it's yeah. crazy to think that those are Lorraine Bracco's actual kids.
1: That's I a mean, good
0: that's, point. I, I I saw an interview with her where she was talking about it. She's like, well, I, I have kids those age. Why not just, I get to have them with me on set. It's, it's going to be fine. And then she was talking about how, where she does the scene where she's banging on all the buzzers and calling Janice Rossi a whore and the kids are looking up at her, and that was the moment where she went, Well, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Like, what what are my kids gonna think of me? Like they're not old enough to understand what's happening. They just see mom losing her shit.
1: I um just a quick quick side tangent. I I have taken Stella and Sophia to auditions, uh, with me. Uh I've been I've been called in for commercials where the guy, the character is supposed to have a kid. And so I took Stella once, um for uh, a commercial, I forget for what it was for, and we didn't get a callback. But I took Sophie for, I believe it was an American Express commercial, and we actually got called back. And I, I was really bummed that we didn't get it. So like someday later in life, if it ever comes up and they ask, like, "Well, how can, have we ever like done stuff with you?" I'll be like, "Well, yeah." T- apparently, Sophie was the better actress because she got us further into the callback. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, man, that's this is why I should never be a parent, because I, I know that in that case, I would play them off against each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, your, your sister impressed me more. She impressed, you know, American Express more. So I guess you've got to work a little harder.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true.
0: It's true. I'll sa-
1: I'll save it for a good moment.
0: Oh, yeah. Like when they're at each other's throats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just toss um, that one in there. Just Just toss the grenade and
1: walk away. <laughs> Oh God, I, I'm, I'm, tr- so, so what I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm going through, cause I, I really truncated my notes because I, I just had, I just have so much. So hold on. Okay. All right. I have, I have highlighted some things that I definitely have to make sure that we talk about before, before we end this episode. I'm not saying we're wrapping up, but like, I just, cause I really, there's so much I could do. Do we, do we want to talk about the Copa? Oh man, that's that on my
0: first viewing. There's a there's a couple of things that really stand out to me. The, the first one where I knew obviously I knew I was watching something special from the very beginning, and where the the voiceover drops in and that great needle drop, and and of course that amazing freeze frame where he blows up those cars, and he's talking about how you know you know one day a group of kids carried my mother's groceries home. You know, not because they had to, they did it out of respect. I am like, like, I'm with it. I'm like, yes, I know that I'm watching something that is above average. something that is definitely deserving of the masterpiece label that gets thrown around when people talk about it. And the scene where he beats the ever loving fuck out of Bruce, where he pistol whips him and then gives Karen the gun. And the gun is kind of bloody and she, it's her voiceover and she's talking about, you know, all the girls that I know the second that happened, they would have walked away from the situation, but I got to admit it kind of turned me on. I was like, that's great. Yeah. But the Copa, that one that fucking one through the Copa is unbelievable. It still, still takes my breath away no matter how many times I've seen it. And it was a total accident. It's because they wouldn't let them film them going through the front. And so they created this whole sort of this one take that's really all about seduction is really the sort of subtext of that is you know yeah henry has been seduced into this world of of privilege and and of you know opportunism and and now he's he's it's it's great that we're descending for most of it because now he's taking karen down into this underworld with him yeah, And there's, there's really, once you've had a taste of this life, there's no turning back. I mean, I turned to Liz when we were watching it this time, and I said, this is why, this is why I should never be allowed privilege. I would never, honestly, and we, we really need to talk about glorifying and glamorizing violence. But it's hard for me not to think, wow, if I had had some of these opportunities, if I had lived at this time and had these opportunities, would I have been able to say no? And no, that's, a, that, that's a fair point. As like to have this kind of respect and privilege and wealth and like how 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 seducing is that? How how hard would it be to say no to that? I really, I guess we should just now that I've brought it up. I I really it really chafes my ass when people talk about Scorsese glamorizing violence or glamorizing the lifestyle that he shows, especially in something like The Wolf of Wall Street, because. Yeah, okay. It may look seductive, it may look stylish. That's the point. Same with same with train spotting. I remember the, the thing that wound me up about train spotting so much, reading that Eric Clapton, who is very outspoken about drug use and heroin and cocaine and he walked out of train spotting and he went, Well, that's twenty years worth of work down the drain for me It's like what what the fuck movie were you watching? Like there's nothing about train spotting that glamorizes heroin use. There's nothing about Wolf of Wall Street that makes me go, "Hey, I want to be some hotshot Wall Street dickhead." There's nothing nope. about Goodfellas that really makes me I don't want to fucking rob airports and and kill people, but it's nope. that's that's the whole point of
1: the film. Yeah, these those are those are all cautionary tales. These are all movies about how people are blinded by uh, power or money or drugs or whatever it is. And I'm really glad that you mentioned the robbing the airport thing because it's not just privilege, but it's, it's, gr- you gotta remember too, even though Leota was much, much older, uh, Henry Hill, when he meets Karen is 21. And we're talking about somebody who, instead of going to school, learned what it was to blow up cars, right? Where if he was broke, would just rob the airport. And, we're talking about people with a totally not with no morals because they certainly have a moral code, but it's it's a different moral code. It's it's something that we it's it's the never ride on your friends and always keep your mouth shut, right? That's that's what he grows up learning, and so I don't think that we can we can think that this is glorifying violence. He may it might be fi- at, at parts. And this is, this this is weird to say, filmed kind of beautifully. I mean. Um, the way that we 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 see all of the people basically getting clipped after the the latanza heist is gorgeously shot. But it's it's but it's nothing about that is glorified. It's scary as all hell. I mean, for me, one of the scariest moments of the movie, there's no violence at all. It's when it's when De Niro was trying to get um he's trying to get Karen to get get the dresses. Yeah, it's just down there, it's around the corner. Like that's Like, that's impending doom. That's, that's scary. No, it really is. And I think I've,
0: I've seen some people argue that the film kind of sags in that final act, but I, I, I don't see that at all. I'm, I'm riveted all the way through that scene. I remember the first time I'm with you. The first time I saw that scene, it genuinely scared the shit out of me. I was like, Oh, is he, is he really sunk that low that he's going to kill Henry Hills? Is he going to kill Karen? Is he going to kill Henry? Like this is, Yeah. I mean, I am. I am on the edge of my fucking seat. And especially um, with uh, the, uh, the other shot of De Niro where he's making the decision, and I know people have talked about this endlessly as well, the eye acting that De Niro does when he's deciding, well, fuck it, I don't have to share the money. And it's it's played, it's played against Cream's Sunshine of Your Love, which Nicholas Pileggi had said that as they were writing the script, Scorsese would, hey, can you, can you put Cream in here? when you're writing can you put and he's like why why would i do it's like scorsese was already editing the film in his mind as they were writing it he was already seeing the cuts he was already deciding what the music was going to be and it's 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 such a great acting beat and i don't know what it is but that that piece of music though i don't think it's a particularly great song i'm not a huge cream fan but i think the placement of that is fucking there's something about it that's I don't know. I can't explain it. It's genius. That's why Scorsese is fucking Scorsese. Well,
1: and also, there's another great uh, needle drop. It's the second that we cut to Henry in jail. Like, now take me to jail, and we get the close-up of the the razor cutting the garlic. Um, It's It's, Bobby Darin's Beyond beyond the Sea. Beyond the Sea, yeah, yeah. And it's like this sort of like romantic old crooner song, but it's the hard cut is to them in prison, and there's something juxtapose that's so great about like, you know, and, and we're getting the voiceover too, about how like most people prison is prison, but like we own the, we own the joint, you know, they got to rock around freely and have lobster and steak and stuff. Um, I, I want to go back to the Copa for just a second um, because between the Copa shot and, and the way that, that that, montage was shot, put together of all the bodies, my unsung hero, I just kind of put out there is Larry McConkey. He was the cam operator for the film. And
0: oh, you did a you did a deep cut. Well done, sir.
1: I had to. I had to because, like, I I feel like you could go with Scorsese or or Michael Ballhaus, a cinematographer, but it's like this the guy doing the steadicam work in this film, wow, it's really good. Oh yeah, it's amazing. <sighs>
0: okay. So, so we've done we've done your unsung hero. I mean, I. I guess I have to settle on somebody. I mean <laughs> I, I, I do love Catherine Scorsese, I love Paul Sorvino. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go I, I think I'm gonna go with a with a behind the scenes choice as well, and I think I'm gonna go with Nicholas Pileggi. Alright. He he should have got that fucking Oscar. That's all there yeah. is to it. The research that he did, everything that went into the book, into interviewing everybody, into into dealing with Henry Hill's bullshit. Cause I don't know if you've seen any interviews with him, but he seemed like he was a pain in the ass to deal with. Yeah. So um, full of himself yeah. up his own ass. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Nicholas Pelleggi. He, he deserved
1: that. I should have gotten that Oscar. 100%. I do love, I feel like if you do, if anybody does any quick research on this movie, I love the, uh, that according to him, when Scorsese called cold, called the writer scorsese told him i've been waiting for this book my entire life and then he replied i've been waiting for this phone call my entire life i think that's great that's a great back and forth
0: it was meant to be absolutely meant to be and going back to my my first viewing i think not only with the the copa her, but i think i think the moment where i was like this i this is a masterpiece i think is is the gun scene where she's sitting on top of him it's the heart that close-up of the gun in his face and the way the gun is cocked back. Something that, that Thelma Shoemaker brought up in one of the interviews that I watched in preparation for this was Scorsese's use of close-ups. It's something that I, I don't feel that I had appreciated on the, the numerous viewings before this, but I was really looking at them this time. Those close-ups, they're just of ordinary, everyday things. I'm not saying anything that, that Thelma Shoemaker hasn't said. I, again, I'm, I'm so torn. I mean, I think she's an unsung hero of this film as well. Her editing is, is fucking perfect. Yeah. um i she did win the bafta um just those those close ups of the gun the intensity of that scene we we can't because it's all in tight shots it's their faces the gun we're not allowed to sit back and watch the scene objectively we have to be in it with them yeah because because well, of it, his use of close ups
1: and and it's and because and every once in a while he throws in um because uh, I mean, yeah, we get the close up of the gun, and we get the close up of like the the razor cutting the garlic, and we do get those throughout a lot of close ups of food, kind of close ups of everyday everyday stuff, um, but that that split second close up of oh my god when when Tommy is supposed to get made, um, and he walks into the room, and it's fucking empty, and he gets out that oh no right I mean right before he gets shot in the back of the head. And the cross-cutting of that with De Niro and Leota at the coffee shop. And, and you know, I think I remember the first time watching it being so... Because the music... Isn't it still Layla? Layla's still playing over this, right?
0: Yeah, no, it's still coming out of the montage of, of De Niro having everybody killed. And yeah, it's that piano... The, the, yes. what they call the piano exit of Layla, which uh, to, for here and now, to anybody who thinks that song is too indulgent, go fuck yourselves. Layla is a masterpiece. <laughs> See, I'm but already, yeah, I'm just... getting, I'm getting, I'm channeling some of the Pesci. Go fuck yourself. You know, i have never there's dug the, a uh, hole before. I, I, I'll i dig a fucking hole. What? <laughs> I, you think it's my first <laughs> time digging a fucking hole?
1: <laughs> there's just something about the way, like, it certainly seems that everything's, we should know better, or I, I, I feel like I should have known better that something, everything was going to be perfect. But like, we're coming out of this montage. The music's literally fading out, and we're getting the whole thing. You know how how Henry and Jimmy could never get made because they were both Irish, um, and that top like, like with Tommy getting made, it was like we were all getting made, and like the the stakes are so high and the music is so great. And then Tommy, you know, Tommy saying bye to his mom, and it's just like so quickly, just fucking boom gone all done and like and the thing is too is like this movie doesn't not in a bad way again but like this movie doesn't really have a plot and yet that is clearly like that's that's such a huge shift in the movie is tommy's death
0: i i think you could say that that is where the the plot kick the plot doesn't kick in until almost two hours in (laughs) yeah, <laughs> and I, I do remember jumping at that moment I do remember that very vividly jumping was, you know at, at this point we shouldn't we shouldn't be as emotionally invested in these people as we are I mean these are all terrible fucking people but you, you do you care when Pesci we shouldn't care about Pesci we have seen Pesci do the worst fucking things he's been prejudiced he's fucking killed Spider at this point for nothing yeah, literally, he's killed Spider for nothing. He did uh, tell him to go fuck himself. He he did, but I mean, come on, he fucking he shot him in the foot. Fucking earned yeah, I- it. <laughs> uh, and and De Niro in that scene, what I love, what is it about De Niro saying, "What's the matter with you?"
1: Oh, see, I actually I thought I thought before I love his, whoa, his yeah. his reaction to to Spider saying "Go fuck yourself" is. Is everything? It's oh, everything.
0: Because it you you don't usually get to see De Niro go that big, and it's so <laughs> it's so genuine. It does it feels like a real reaction. <laughs> but just every time De Niro said, no matter what movie it is, where he's like, "What's the fucking matter with you?" I just I, I love it. But anyway, yeah, no, we shouldn't we shouldn't care about Pesci getting killed. We should cheer when he dies. But like, it sucks the fuck. I I really. If I could, there's so many films, if I could go back in time and see them in a theater with an audience opening weekend, I mean, there's a lot of them. There's Jaws, there's The Exorcist, there's, you know, the original Star Wars, there's Godfather, so many. Yeah. Goodfellas is on that list too, because I want to be in that room because you know the air was just fucking sucked out of it at that point. And I love that feeling. It happens so rarely. And it's it's one of my favorite, that awkwardness is one of my favorite things in the whole
1: world. I, so two things I I, I want to jump out jump back with. Um, uh, you mentioned that we we shouldn't care for Tommy, and I think and they're they're wildly different movies. But I think this is the main reason why I love Goodfellas and hate Raging Bull, is because Raging Bull starts everything's basically depressed and everybody sucks, and I don't like anybody, and nobody changes. Nobody. In fact, if, nobody. Everybody gets worse throughout the movie. But the thing about Goodfellas is there is that charm and charisma. And like you're right, we're we we are Karen. We are seduced by these people through this movie. And even though we're we're seeing people rob and, and kill, we're still like we're, it's it it's like it's kind of heart. I mean at this so so yeah, so there's that. And you talk about the surprise that this, the surprise of killing Tommy we've we've at that point seen two other deaths that come out of nowhere we've seen um we've seen Tommy shoot Stax in his bedroom and we've seen him shoot Spider and maybe the Stax one is a bit more we see it coming a little bit um but killing Spider is again one of those like i mean yes he's pissed but i don't think that we know that he's going to jump right to shooting him and those the way that violence I think, particularly in this movie, the way that in which we see the violence, there's, there's, it, it's not like obvious, like we're going to shoot each other now. There's so much like almost nonchalant everydayness about, like when they, when they kill Stacks, he's like, hey, where are you? We're supposed to be getting ready, and, and everything's so, so conversational, and so like, oh yeah, he'll make coffee, we'll be good, we're gonna get going, and then he just fucking shoots him in the back of the head, and it's, it's surprising because, because to us. This is way out of left field, but it's like, oh, they're almost all premeditated. And even with Spider, it's like, it's so quick, but it's also like you just said, go fuck yourself to Tommy DeVito. Like, you probably shouldn't have done that. That's uh, another thing. Another
0: feather in this film's cap is, yeah, this the abruptness of the violence is so good. It's one of the things that I. I think inspired uh, someone like Taylor Sheridan, who is one of my new favorite writers and directors, like Wind River, the violence in that is abrupt and comes out of nowhere. So is it in Sicario, so is it in, in Hell or High Water. I love I love these slow burns that are just all of a sudden... Uh, Bone Tomahawk is another one. These slow burns that are just punctuated with these moments of severe and intense violence because I... Yeah, you know, I've never been involved in a really violent situation in my life, but I have to imagine that that's that's kind of how it happens. You know, it's a it's abrupt and it just there it is and now you're forced to deal with the situation.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or you're forced to to sit in it like we are with with the death of Spider or even a little bit we didn't mention we haven't mentioned Mori at all in this thing. But the death of Mori as well getting stabbed in the in the neck with the ice pick the thing. I mean, that's that's intense. But the thing that I notice about that scene that I hadn't picked up on before and it's maybe because I have finally saw the SPN thirty for thirty playing for the mob documentary is they mention I was like, Oh, it's a shame that the point shaving never made it into Goodfellas. I mean it's just too much in a movie that's already very loaded. Yeah. But they do mention the point shaving in that scene. Right before they stab Mari. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, you know, they're talking I, about, oh, we've
1: got this thing, we got this basketball thing we gotta get in on. I didn't catch it in, in the in the viewing, but it, I read it in the research that it that it did very subtly make its way into the movie.
0: I tell you what, just as a little sidebar, man, I got to watch more of those thirty for thirties, man. That was great,
1: dude. I, I, okay, I know they're not these; are, they're much longer, but like, you have to watch The Last Dance. You have to watch OJ Made in America, and honestly, like, even the I watched the the Mark McGuire uh, Sammy Sosa, Long Gone Summer, where like the, like the 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 one time there was really a, a home run race to to this is pre Barry Bonds like dude they're good man they're really they're really good and OJ I I know is not technically a feature film is like w- top two three documentaries I've ever seen it's so it's so fucking
0: good I mean I I'm already paying for ESPN Plus I might as well get my fucking money's worth out of it. Do it. Do it. I don't know. I don't know if we're saying fuck more or less in this episode, but I'm just, I feel like I've got that. You know, I'm, challen- I'm, you, I'm channeling. You it motherfucker. Now. <laughs> Keep him here. Um. So while we're talking about, you know, intense violence and a fuckload of swearing, let's deal with this here and now, you and me. Gun to your head. Goodfellas or casino. Because I see a Good. lot of this shit. I see a lot of this shit on Twitter where there's all of a sudden this, this surgence of people that are saying that casino is the better film and i just i can't i can't wrap my fucking mind around that
1: no no casino it's...
0: casino's good it's fun but it's you know it's it's like puff pastry there's really there's there's compared to goodfellas which is like a full rounded meal there's almost nothing to casino it's it's for me as much as i like it i almost look at it more as a scorsese guilty pleasure I'm not trying to to shit on it or anything like that, but it is a very fucking indulgent movie.
1: Yeah, I, it it is. And I I and I almost think that's purposeful. I don't I don't know if that makes any sense, but I feel like that's intentional. And I feel like it's it's not just the like another mob story, but it's also like Vegas, it's excess. Like that's that's Vegas. That's that's sort of the world in which we're going into. I think Casino was great. I really, really like it. And of course it was my entryway to Scorsese. Um, and in terms of powerful women perform, I mean, Sharon Stone got an Academy award nomination for that film.
0: Oh, she's um, fucking great. In it. She's amazing. Yeah,
1: and I, mean, I, remember, I, again, I think again, another good.
0: great soundtrack
1: too. Yeah. It, oh, of course. Yeah. T- I mean, so much, so much great music in that movie. Um, I don't, but I, I think it's, I, I think it'll never be Goodfellas for almost the simple fact that it came out after goodfellas there's like it's not like ca- goodfellas isn't ripping off casino casino is ripping off goodfellas and granted it's it's all it's pledgy again it's scorsese it's de niro and pesh i mean it's the same people so i ripping off probably isn't the right word but like no no no, no i'm sorry no it's goodfellas and for very obvious reasons it's, it's
0: a continuation. It's a, it's a pale continuation. It's a, the law of diminishing returns, right?
1: Now, I will say, I don't think that Casino glorifies violence, but I think the way that the violence is handled in Casino is much more glorified than it is in Goodfellas.
0: It's almost, it's almost more cartoony.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking specifically of when they put the guy's head in the vice, like the way that whole scene, it almost ends with a punchline. Like you make me pop your eye out of your head to protect that piece of shit, you dumb. Mother- like it's serious, but it's also kind of like, like darkly humor. And yeah. and it's it's weird to find that funny, but it kind of is.
0: I'll admit, I laughed the first time I saw it, just because it's so. Well, one, it's terrifying, but it's also kind of fucking absurd. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't, I don't feel that about any moment in Goodfellas. It has me on on just a fucking razor's edge the entire time but there are
1: moments that are funny i mean w- we should definitely talk about the how my funny you know funny how but there's even a moment later it's it actually there's a moment um it's the moment before de niro tells leo to forget about it you know basically he tells him we're not going to kill mori he's he's clearly lying but that that's what he says um and and Pesci is clearly telling a joke that we didn't hear the start of, and it ends with him going "jerk off," and everybody's laughing. And I find myself laughing, even though I have no idea what the story was, because there, it's so like convivial and joyful, and everybody's laughing and stuff. And and so this moment, I think I think the movie is very, um, it's very specific when it is trying to be funny or charming. Like there are moments dedicated i don't think there's there's not a lot of crossover it's like either we're getting kind of a funnier scene or we're not
0: and well and in those charming moments you know like i was talking about whether we feel empathetic for them or not like you in those moments you want to be with these guys you want to hang out with them despite your better nature of knowing when you do when you take a step back to realize oh oh no these these guys are fucking awful but they are charming they they're you know, they are, you know they have their moments where they can be good husbands and good fathers and good friends and good members of a of a sort of community but it's just i mean it's the wrong fucking community to be a part of
1: <laughs> very and I, and true I,
0: and i like what you said about them they have to go home and that's that it really is the power of this movie is you know we can we can we can revel in the highs of this film where it's the guys hanging out and doing their naughty gangster shit. But the heart and soul of this movie is the, the scenes where they have to go home specifically when, when Henry has to go home and be with his wife and be with his children and, and be with Polly. And I think we should, I mean, we're, we're going a little long here, but I think we should wrap up. Just let's, let's talk about the final sequence, you know, May 11th, 1980 i mean how much did that just fuck you up the first time you saw it man i just i do remember vividly going from a sat back sort of laid back position enjoying what i was was watching to just like oh my god how the fuck is this going to end leaning forward and hanging on every word and every change of the soundtrack that montage has some fucking great shit and george harrison mick jagger the stones the who like it's a it's a who's who is some of the greatest fucking music ever written on just this absolute fucking breakneck roller coaster ride that isn't gonna give you a moment like Henry Hill it doesn't have a fucking moment to breathe.
1: Yeah, it, I I think, and again, it's and what in that short montage, which is, encompasses not even one full day, is you know he's he's going, you know he's got to pick up his brother and then he's got to go home and make the sauce but then he's going to try to sell guns and then he comes back to get the meat going and then he has to go out to try to sell the guns and pick up the drugs and it's it's back and forth and like I remember we were we were watching it because we watched it last night Melissa at one point was like she looked at uh, she looked at Lorraine Bracco and she was like do you think Karen's doing drugs too because at that point we hadn't seen any, we hadn't seen her do any we just know that she's around it and then they're in the hotel you room wanna, she's like yeah can I get a bump you want to see yeah, helicopters I'll, I'll you, all shoot yeah Oh, it's so good! And so, like, she asked that question, and then like ten seconds later, we hear her ask for some coke, and we were like, "Oh, okay, yeah." So she's she's just as strung out too. Well, maybe not just as strung out, but she's clearly using too. And um, I I one of my favorite like in one of my favorite very very small details about that is when he's fucking whatever babysitter name is um can't fly without her lucky hat fucking dumb bitch and um. She, they, they walk out to the car and it's amazing. So, we, and obviously he, he, he goes to back out and he finally looks out the window and he sees all the cops and he, you know, you know, don't move motherfucker. But like when, when they're walking to the car, you, we, the audience can seriously see the lights flashing. Like they're there. I love what that implies that he's so like, he, he's got such intense tunnel vision that he can't even like as he walks out of his front door to an open street, he can't see that it's lined with police. He doesn't notice it until he has to look over his shoulder to back out like like that's it's it, it's a montage of tunnel vision. It's just it's just whatever is directly in front of Leota at the moment. Like, it, it, yeah, it's fuck. It's just it's just really good. It's just really good.
0: Yeah, it's a, and it's a, I think, I don't think we've spent enough time on Leota, but just to, to pinpoint him really quick, I do, I do love this performance, and I think it's a shame that, obviously he's had a very long, and there are some, there is some diversity in his career if you look at some of the deep cuts, but as far as like the movies that we know him for, it's a shame that he kind of got pigeonholed, he's either playing, he's either playing a gangster or a cop or in I, in the case of Blow he's just kind ugh. of playing an older version of Henry. I mean even to the point where I I fucking I do not like Blow in the oh. same way that I I know I don't like Blow and I don't like American Hustle because they're just they're poor man's good fellows. They're just pale pale comparisons even to the point where like look you no disrespect to the dead. I know that that Ted Demi is not with us anymore but like man if you you were you knew that you were going to draw comparisons the second you cast Ray Liotta
1: I like Blow but i, I but but i see what you're saying especially with American Hustle cuz American Hustle <laughs> not a good movie <laughs> yeah
0: not not great but yeah man i mean we've we've hit our unsung heroes and we've talked about a lot a lot of great visuals in this film is there one thing if you had to settle on one thing where you went this is it this to me this moment this shot this is good fellows oh man um I know there's fucking too many to choose from. Like with me, there's too many unsung heroes. The more I talk about this, I'm like, shit, Thelma Schoonmaker maybe should be my unsung hero.
1: So here, here, I'll say three things. I love the way that the, that Ray Liotta and De Niro and Pesci are all bathed in the red light as they're digging bats back up. It's just, it just feels like they descended down into hell to dig his fucking corpse back up. Um, I just like the way that looks. Um, and then I think I think the two moments that's like even even beyond the how am I funny scene. I think the two moments that really sort of let us know what kind of movie we're watching is when Leota beats up the neighbor and when Tommy is getting made and they shoot him in the back of the head. Uh those two moments in totally different ways script like this is the world that we're in. Oh, absolutely
0: yeah i I'd be hard it's it's gonna be different every time I watch it I mean we could record another version of this and and my favorite shot is gonna be different than the one that I'm gonna tell you right now and and right now yeah. it's right now it's uh it's the copa
1: and i but yeah, you know another I, great
0: shot i know i a year from now it might be different it might be you know him handing her the gun that close up it might be that it might be her sitting on the bed with a gun in his face there's literally too many things to choose
1: yeah yeah it's and I, you know, I actually at one point I wrote down like I I, I was going through all my notes, and the last thing I typed in as as I was as I was reviewing my notes was, this movie is like a greatest hits collection. Like it's just, like there are the the clear standout moments that everybody knows, and then there's like the oh yeah, remember that remember that really good moment that like goes under scene because if it, it, you know it happens you know in a quieter part of the movie, but it's just as fucking good and compelling like. It's it's a movie that I, I don't want to say it doesn't give you any chance to breathe and, and, to, and that it's so tense. But like, you know, you'd be hard pressed to like, like if you were flipping through the channels and it was on 99 percent of the time, you're going to land on a moment where it's like, oh, fuck, that's right. This is coming up. All right. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to I got to stick with it for a while.
0: Oh yeah no you can't it's it's another one of those movies where if you catch it on cable if you start it if you you pop in ten 20 minutes and I defy you to turn it off <laughs> you can't yeah. you can't do it you, yeah. you can't fucking do it and even as we're sitting here talking about it other shots are flashing through my head uh, fuck it man the, the the freeze flame of the explosion where he talks about the respect I mean fuck that is that's a seminal moment in the movie
1: and you can still hear the debris falling even though the oh. frame is stopped
0: yeah yeah That it is it is a mat you are watching a master at work yeah i i the word masterpiece is so it's such a it's such sticky territory but this this truly
1: is yeah i i i wholeheartedly agree uh and so that's that's what we think <laughs> well, i i hope
0: i hope people are still with us after a more than 90 minute gush
1: fest about good fellas. Um uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and and hopefully maybe at at least we we threw out some appreciation for some moments that go unnoticed. You know, we did talk about the oneer. we didn't really talk about the, how am I funny scene? It's a good scene. I mean, it's a great scene, but there are other things worth talking about as well. Um, So please, Hey, find us on Facebook and on Twitter and let us know what some of your favorite moments from Goodfellas are. And you can listen to us on Spotify and Stitcher and Google and Apple. Uh, You can support us at patreoncom slash a thousand and one by one. You could also recommend a movie for us if you uh, hit that $5 level. Um, And, We are getting so close, man. So close to wrapping up our decade-by-decade appreciation of film. Uh, Ian teased it a little bit. We may or may not be doing a Ridley Scott film next week. Uh, So just stay tuned for that. But until then, I am Adam. And I'm Ian. And we will see you next week.